I don't like talking to myself, but someone's gotta say it hell. I mean, things have not been going well. It's time I think I finally fucked myself. You see, the life I live is sickening. I spent a decade playing chicken with oblivion. Day to day, I'm neck and neck. We're giving in, I'm the same. Welcome back to Napalm and Friends. And this week, I am beyond honored to have this guest. He plays for a toe-tapping band that is described as sounding like Buddy Holly if he had access to a stack of effect pedals and some Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds records. Mighty Joe Castro. I am beyond grateful that you gave me a bit of your time. I know you have been super busy with the band and just life in general. So thank you for, you know, cutting some time for us. Ah, it's good to be in the shack. It's a nice place to be. Oh, I'm a go. fan of this show, so I'm excited to be on it. Oh, you're sure. too kind. 
Um, so I do want to talk about how you guys formulated that band bio, but before I get into that, I kind of want to, you know, start from the beginning where, how did you find rockabilly and rock and roll? And like, how did you pick up guitar? Uh, I found rockabilly and rock and roll. I just grew up with it. Like my parents were, uh, first generation like rock and rollers like i grew up in new york i was born in new york and my my family grew up in in brooklyn and queens and like my mom was like a first generation elvis fan and my dad went to shows at the uh you know all the um alan freed shows the brooklyn paramount so he would tell me stories about going to see chuck berry and you know uh jerry lee lewis and richie bounds and all these people and stuff so just growing up like i was born in the 70s so um around that time there's also like a lot of 70s nostalgia out there so you know you had movies like Grease coming out and American Graffiti and American Hot Wax and all these sort of you know like the older generation was having their sort of nostalgic moments so all that stuff was saturating and the neo rockabilly movement was sort of bubbling so just from like being a kid that was just stuff was just around me all the time stuff like that so a lot of doo-wop records um you know Buddy Holly stuff like that was just was just around it just was was everywhere and it was cool that's fantastic. Um, so then, I mean, you already kind of grew up within that culture and within that genre and scene. How did you pick up the guitar? Um, that just happened. Some, you know, I was a teenager and I was in the, I got heavily in the music, got heavily in the, the Ramones and punk rock and new wave and bands like the Smiths and Echo uh, and the Bunny Men, all that stuff that was popular. And uh, at the time, I didn't think I could sing, so I thought, well, I can't sing like Morrissey. I'll just l- try to learn to play the guitar like Johnny Marr. So that was kind of <laughs> like my my entryway, and I had some friends who had guitars. So, you know, you'd just be in someone's bedroom, and they would just start playing some little thing, and you're like, oh, how do you do that? And it was this sort of, this sort of mystical instrument. Like, I didn't know anyone else really that played, but, yeah, a few friends showed me some things, and then it was just a matter of just uh, going through old guitar magazines, because it was sort of before YouTube, so it was just... Mm-hmm. by the monthly guitar magazine they would have tablature in the back for whatever songs were popular and at the time it was all heavy metal songs so just learning to play to like heavy metal records because there was you know none of the cool bands were sort of there wasn't like ramones tablature in there you know yeah um, do you remember your first song that you played on guitar yeah it was uh wicked game by chris isaac was the first one i ever learned randomly the guitar part for that and i was so excited i remember playing it for a girl i was seeing at the time and she was like that doesn't sound anything like that song <laughs> i was like crushed i was like oh no i've worked so hard on it but yeah oh that's terrible but you know i'm glad that, that... But you persevere right yeah you know yeah it's like good to get that first kick in the in the gut done early you know <laughs> toughen you up a little bit no definitely um i mean like i'm sure or i mean correct me if i'm wrong but is mighty joe castro and the Gravelmen the first band you know, that you put together, or were there other bands that came before? Yeah, there were other bands before, and like primarily I was just um, the guitar player in the band. I would write some of the songs, but I didn't write lyrics or anything like that. And uh, different bands had varying degrees of success. There was one band I was in in the early, in like the 2000s, it was called The Situation, and it was a kind of a Brit pop, garage rock kind of band. And we had put out a couple records out of a label called Elephant Stone out of, um, Ohio and we did some touring like we did some shows in the west coast and stuff and um and then when that fell apart I kind of stopped playing music for a while uh just because I was burned out on everything and yeah. um was kind of like just done with it and then uh, I was getting ready to have a daughter and uh my wife bought me a acoustic guitar to learn how to to sort of have something to play to sing songs to to the baby mm-hmm. and um 
that sort of got me into like just playing real simple songs again and learning how to how to sing and realize like oh i could probably just sing and write my own songs and i should just do that instead of dealing with an egotistical front man you know i could just deal with my own ego egotistical <laughs> front man that's beautiful i mean how did uh mighty joe castro like that stage name how did that come up um that's a long story but i'll tell you i'll tell you the long story my birth name is actually brevort so my name is joe brevort mm-hmm. but uh Castro is my mom's last name. So growing up, my my dad passed away when I was young, um, when I was like 13. But uh, he was very adamant in our family that no one was going to grow up to be like an artist or a musician or anything like that. So it was very much like you started showing any aptitude in any of that and they do whatever they could to sort of cut it off. So then later on, as I started becoming like an artist and decided to become a musician, I was just kind of like, well, like, maybe I should, uh, I should use a different name. And so I was always sort of closer to my, to my mom's side of the family anyway. And um, I just thought, well, it's kind of, why do you have to take your father's last name anyway? Like, why, why not just use your mother's last name? Like, why does that have to be so like, you know, male dominated? So then I just thought, well, I'm just going to go with Joe Castro. Um, and then the mighty thing just came out. <laughs> I, they I was going to register a website and Joe Castro.com was taken so then i thought well you know mighty joe castro like mighty joe young like i grew up watching all those like old bihar movies you know like i've always had a thing for monkeys and so i thought mighty joe young mighty joe castro and then once i did that it just like like stuck like 20 20 years ago or something like that now that's what just everyone calls me i will so say kind it's of the, catchy I yeah like- it is like now we're like people just like oh mighty joe mighty joe you never like comes up and says it so it's i'm just kind of like used to it now so then, um, I mean, it's Mighty um, Joe Castro and the Grava Band. Like, how did the band come together? Um, I was just sort of languishing for a while. And then someone, I'd wanted to do a rockabilly thing for a long time, uh, but I just couldn't find like an upright bass player. And then it, at some point, this guy reached out to me named Hoover. And he was like, hey, I think what you're trying to do is sort of similar to what I'm trying to do. And he was playing in this punk rock band called Thorzine that's from Philadelphia. And he knew a drummer in Dallas and he brought him along. And then we just found our guitar player, Mike, randomly on Craigslist. And within like two months, we were like gigging and just it all like sort of clicked into place. And we started just going, going forward. And I had some songs stockpiled and stuff like that already. So that's fantastic. Went off to the races and running. I mean, what? I mean, I saw that recently. You guys actually played at a graveyard, and I was like, dude, that looks so cool. Yeah. What has been your most memorable show? Um, man, that's a tough one because we always find ourselves in like weird places. I mean, the graveyard one was was cool, except that it was the hottest day of the year, and it was like 100 degrees out. There was like a crazy heat wave on the East Coast, and we're in the middle of this graveyard with no trees and just like baking, and everyone was just like, you know, 100 feet back in the shade watching and stuff so there's like you're just playing the sort of these shadows in the shade um man the weirdest gig man i'm stumped right now i i I'll have to think about that one i mean we can always come back to it something will come to mind because it's yeah seems- there's always every everyone thinks like sort of unique and weird there's just i don't know with rockabilly music you get all kinds of like weirdos that want you to do all kinds of weird kind of shows you know it's i don't know um, no, definitely. Uh, and then speaking of the whole rockabilly scene, um, you've actually created rockabilly against racism. And mm-hmm. it seems like at the core of who you are, it's like you are just such an advocate for anti-racism in the scene and just overall, like you've actually written an essay 
um, titled Mighty Joe Castro Makes Rockabilly Against Racism. And this essay was really sparked by the shooting that happened in El Paso. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I used to be very, very vocal about like, you know, human rights, politics, but it gets Mm -hmm. to a point where it's just, it's exhausting. For sure. How did that activism start for you and how do you find the strength to continue? Yeah, that piece was written for um, American Blues Scene, I think. They reached out to me to write that after I started doing it. What happened was, it is like 2009, you know, there was just so much stuff going on, uh, especially racially. And then that El Paso shooting just, for some reason, just really hit me. I think it was just the, you know, the intent that someone's going to get in their car and drive an hour out of their way just to go kill a bunch of people they've never, ever met before just because of their color of their skin or because of their ethnic background. And to me, it was just, I just can't understand that. You know, like I just, and it's no different than what happened in Buffalo a few weeks ago. So, you know, I was, at the time I just thought, well, there's all this propaganda that's coming out, especially with the Trump administration and things that were going on. And everyone's putting out this sort of propaganda. And I thought, the only, as an artist, like, what can I do? You just try to combat it with some other propaganda. So I thought, we'll make, I'll make these Rockabilly Against Racism stickers, which is inspired by the Rock Against Racism movement that happened in Britain in the 70s. And I'll just give them out to whoever wants them for free. And so that's sort of just how it, how it started and I would just give them out at shows or people would send me their address and I've mailed them like all over the country, all over the world now at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, it was just sort of like, you know, like it, it's such a big issue. Like I know that I don't have the answers for any of it, but my thing is if people are coming to these shows, like I want everyone to feel welcome and to feel safe. And I've got a lot of slack from people that have said like, oh, why do you got to make it political, man? Why do you got to make rockabilly about politics? I'm like, well, because these assholes have the Confederate flag out. Like, you don't get more political than pulling out a government flag. I mean, the Confederate Party is a political party. Like, you're you're putting that out there. That's a political statement as it is. Mm -hmm. And all these, I had people that would say like, you know, like, well, the flag means rebellion. It doesn't mean, you know, racism. I'm like, well, like no real rebel follows someone else's flag make your own flag and that's what we did with the rockabilly against racism sticker it's like we'll just put those out so in my head i just thought if we flood the scene with enough of those and people would come and sort of feel welcome you know because i i don't want to get tied down to the idea that we're playing a retro style of music and you have all these people that are trying to push back this like 50 style agenda you know we're like people who are different from you go back into the closet and we don't want gay rights or trans rights or you know like mm-hmm. like women, like female reproductive right all these things and i don't want people to associate us with our vintage sound to be associated with that so we you might see a lot of our flowers i put you know vintage style not vintage values yeah and that kind of stuff on there um just to get that message out and let people know that this music really is for everyone in my opinion even when it started in the 50s it was so you had such a mix of of different races and types of people. I mean, starting rock and roll. I mean, you could just take Little Richard. You know, it's like that's like the baseline of like, you know. So, I don't know. It was just sort of like it was one little thing to try to get out there. But but since then, I've given the artwork away to people. Like, there's a a couple of um clothing labels and, and record labels out in Europe that they just like print the stickers out there and they just give them free with everybody's orders. Like I've seen them show up on like the, the logo show up on t-shirts in like Mexico and stuff. And like, you know, in Japan, people are like printing it. So to me, it's just like not even about 
it's just about getting that message out and just letting people people know and sort of invigorating the scene and it's been cool i mean i know last year they i think this year for the first time they outlawed confederate flags at a bunch of the rockabilly festivals like viva las vegas and stuff and they've started doing like a lot more to sort of rein that in so um, that's fantastic i didn't know that yeah yeah i think that's all so i think that's all positive you know i think people are just kind of tired of it yeah no um, and i do want to say for the listeners i'll be tagging your instagram page the band's page and the websites in the link of this bio so if you ever want to like follow up find like get a sticker or just find out when the next show is they will it will be in the link of the bio so check them out I mean, not only are they amazing people, it's also really amazing music. So, set them that. Yeah, if anyone wants to, if anyone wants to just send me a message on Instagram, just Instagram me your address, and I'll just send you some stickers. Like, you know, no question, no questions asked. One, two, three, four.
written tattoo I love the way you live I love your black lipstick that you're speaking with yeah, You strike me as just a right kind of crazy And with this cold dark beer in my hand tonight I'm gonna spin this room, I'm gonna change my life I'm just waiting for you to
I do want to say like something that you mentioned where you said uh, vintage style, not vintage values. Like I've been asked multiple times because I am a big fan of thrifting. Like mo I want to say about like 80, 90% of my wardrobe is, you know, fifties and sixties clothing that I've just picked up. Yeah. And I've had people ask me, it's like, well, you know, what's your favorite um, like era or, you know, if you can go back in time, I'm like, I don't want to go back in time. Like I like the idea of being able to like get a credit card for myself or, you know, I, yeah. You know, right now it's it's kind of a shit show with like reproductive rights but like i like having that autonomy i like having slightly more human rights than what my mother and grandmother dealt with yeah for sure so it's it's so funny that people like want to romanticize it but forget to realize like how broken our society was due to ignorance and hatred yeah, so kind of like modern times, but with like a little better style. That's all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Modern, like I want a nice looking refrigerator and nice looking toaster, you know? And yeah. I, I do, you know, I do a lot of collage work. So I've got stacks of vintage magazines from like the 40s and 50s and stuff and 60s. And you just go through them and you're like, it's funny because the headlines are a lot of times the same. You're like, the environment's in trouble. There's war in the Middle East, you know, like the Russia, China, and you can flip through and it's... The news is almost like it's so cyclical, but then the only difference is the appliances look better. <laughs> you know what I mean? That everything looks better. Like, wow, look at that car. Man, look at that radio. Like, you're not wrong. I know. I know. It's just every time I look at them, I'm like, man, I just get like appliance envy. <laughs> no, yeah, same. Um, and it's funny, it's, it also kind of relates to a punk, uh, the punk scene that I've seen uh, kick Nazis out of punk, where it's like, yeah there is this like little subculture of like skinheads and they've really like adapted what skinhead really first meant. So there has been a movement in there as well, where it's like, Hey, you no, know, like this isn't okay. And, you know, if we're not going to check our community and, you know, try to set things like straight where it's welcoming for everybody, then who will? So it really does yep. fall upon like the listeners and the creators within those genres. So when I saw that you created, you know, rockabilly against racism and the essay that you wrote, I was like, yeah, like all the more reason I wanted you on the show or it's like, I want to talk about this, but it becomes so exhausting at some point. Yeah, yeah, for 
Sure, but yeah, and people there used to be a joke in Philly that would say like the rockabilly scene is where you know like racist punks go to die or something like that was like sort of looked at as like still the one safe haven where everyone could go. Which I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I just don't I just don't get it because to me like rock and roll at the beginning was just like all inclusive, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I come from that sort of punk mentality, the full you know diy and making yourself and you know just like if you see something say something kind of thing and just work together and i like the whole sense of community like one of the coolest thing about doing the stickers is just meeting people like i send them stickers i write a little note to them mail them out and a lot of times they're sending me stuff back or they're you know like messaging me on on instagram or facebook or whatever and so it's cool all of a sudden you've got connection as as, as minor as it is to all these people like around the world you know kind of it's gives so people a sense of connection it's rad you know no, that's exactly how I feel about this track where it's like, I'm very honored and humble to have like met so many other incredible artists where it's like sharing their journey and sharing their playlist. It's amazing. And, you know, I really always kind of identified with, you know, the, the outliers and people who never really belonged in society. And that's yeah. what I really wanted the shock to be where it's like, I don't really like, I don't really care where you come from. It's like, as long as you like good music and as long as you're a cool person, it's like, you're more than welcome type of deal. Yep. Yeah. And you can tell that from the guests you've had on there. Like, it's, it's just a cool, like, eclectic mix. And most of the guests, like, I've heard that you've had on, I don't necessarily know from before. But then you hear it and you're like, wow, this person's, like, really cool. Or what are they into? Or they're a photographer and this person does this. Or is it a band and is a drummer? And, you know, so it's cool. It's Super cool. The Shack is just a thinly veiled attempt at like holding like holding people hostage and convincing them to be my friend. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do these days. It's in that game. Um, so just a question that I ask across the board to every guest is if you had to build a class curriculum, what book, album, and film would be in your class syllabus? Man, I, I heard you ask this question to someone else before, and I was just like, that's tough. That's tough to pick just one. But so I did think about it. And if I'm thinking about it in terms of like the band, Mighty Joe Cash and the Gravemen, uh, for the book, I would choose The Little Prince by Antoine Saint-Exupéry. I'm going to say, I know I said that probably with the worst pronunciation, so forgive me. Um, for the movie, I would say The Bomba. And for the record, I would say Tom Waits' Swordfish Trombones. And I just think like if we can sort of come through in the middle of like, that was a triangle and we were sort of in the center of that, I think that's where we would sort of fit in there. You know, um, I mean, The Bomba honestly has like that sort of retro uh 50s vibe and such a great story with the family and the struggle and you know uh, his struggle with his identity and everything um you know the little prince just for all the sort of remembering to see things from a childlike perspective and the and then tom waits the swordfish trombones just for the the musical adventure and bringing up all these different styles into it you know i i, I hopefully we're somewhere like in the middle of all that mess if that makes any sense to anyone other than me, I don't know, but. No, I can, I can see that, you know, and especially with uh, The Little Prince, that's one of my favorite books. And that's something that I do recommend when I was working at an elementary yeah. school, like that's a book that I would always try to like get my students to read. I give and, it to adults all the time. Like, oh, you got to check this book out. Like it's, it's so deep when you really get into it, you know? Oh yeah. And, um, I mean, that's also the whole purpose of the book is like, here's a children's book, but it's so much, much more. And that's sort of like the whole point of what the message of the book is. Like there's, you know. Oh, I need to reread it now. Like it's been such a long time, but 
I do know from what I do recall, it's like there's so many beautiful layers to it. I do know that they turned it into a film, and I saw that it was like on Netflix or something. And it's uh, weird. It's kind of weird though. The the film I did watch it, mm-hmm. but it's like half it's the, about the book, and the other half is about this girl who sort of her life is over programmed and like she's sort of starts reading the book and stuff. So it's kind of like two movies in one. It's yeah. not bad, but it doesn't, you miss like the language of the book. Like the book's got good language. And I went down a wormhole and read a bunch of his other books and they're, they're also very good. Like he's just got a really very cool lyrical way of writing, but I'm a bit of a bookworm. So. And you know, um, kind of going back to the whole, what you said, it's like with the, the little prince, you know, kind of seeing things through a childlike perspective, I think, again correct me if i'm wrong like it kind of connects to your childhood where it's like they try to steer you away from the arts but you always stuck to it because i mean not only are you a musician but you're also a visual artist with collages and all that yeah so, i mean yeah you- i mean i'm stubborn too i think i'm just stubborn. <laughs> like i just did not like to be told what to do you know and that's what you know eventually i've been to like punk rock and skateboarding and all that kind of stuff like it's just perfect for for people like that but mm-hmm. but um yeah, yeah, it definitely all ties in. That book definitely hit 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 a nerve for sure, for sure. Yes. I mean, that's pretty great. Like, I I'm so glad to hear that on someone's uh, class syllabus. Um, so- <laughs> that's a tough question. I like was like, especially I love. I'm such like a film guy too. So I was just going through all these movies. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think you could really just answer that question in like a million different combinations. You mm-hmm. know, that's a good question. Well, I'm glad. I know that's that's one question that really does stump a lot of guests, but I I like throwing it in there no matter what, because I like seeing what recommendations that other people have, because I think it's just so telling about their journey or like their mindset at the moment. You like you like watching people sweat. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with the hard question right now. It's like, <laughs> oh, pick just one. Oh, oh. You called me out. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Now the KKK wear three piece suits. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. In fact, you know what's like that, y'all. Yeah, that's right. Straight from Big Town, boy. You know what I'm saying? Free part of life. Roosevelt on the map. You know what I'm saying?
questions for you other than what advice do you have for budding artists man that's another good one and i think about that a lot uh i think the a good one is to learn to live with less you know and just like don't live without outside of your means if you can learn to live with less not quite a spartan lifestyle but whatever will give you the most flexibility to have as much personal freedom to pursue you know the art that 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 you want to do um that would be the big thing. The other thing is like, just build a good community. I mean, if you're in a band, get there early, watch the bands that go on before you, watch the bands that play after you, go meet people, like hang out. Um, if, you write, if you're trying to write a song, 
but and if if you're trying to make art in general i would also say just limit as much distractions as you can like turn your phone off you know don't like keep going on the computer all the time like be bored I, i'm like a big proponent of boredom um i think like all the best things like a lot of the best inventions and things in life just come out from from being bored and just figuring out what what to do i think now everyone has so many distractions to keep them occupied it's like it's a detriment you know i think like the best things sort of like punk rock was born out of boredom and people and like being tired with the music that they were being fed and they were just they just went out and just you have to do something so i think it's good uh, enforce boredom as a way as a way of life i mean i do agree with the whole uh, kind of like living or creating with very minimum because it's like it it forces creativity at that point it forces ingenuity at that point where if this is something that you really want to do, like you don't need to have everything in place. Like sometimes just working with what you have right then and there is more than enough. Yeah. Too many options. A lot of times would just kill all the momentum, you know, just, you just have too many roads you can go. It's almost better to limit yourself, you know? Yeah. Like, um, like I didn't like during the pandemic when that hit, uh, we were just about to release our album and I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to like make like music videos, you know? So I made one for for a video that I ended up just figuring out how to do myself. And I shot it in this room with an iPhone and like two flashlights taped to uh, mic stands and stuff like that. And just sort of figure out how to do it, you know? And it ended up coming out very well. And I felt like it's probably one of my favorite videos that we've done just because there were so many limits on what you you could do. You had to really make it work. You know, it's almost like Survivor or something. You're on the island, you know, you got like, three tools like what can you make with those three tools it forces you to get creative rather than if you have like you walk into home depot and you're just overwhelmed you know i think there's something to be said for just for for just having minimal stuff to work with i think it makes it mean that much more like i've had people tell me i've had people approach me and say like that they, that they want to create something similar to the shack like same format and i say go for it like you know i may not know much or like I may not have the most expensive equipment but it's like this is what I use but then they tell me like oh no like I want to get this this and this and it's like I need to buy this and I was like you don't like sometimes just throwing yourself out there and learning as you go along is all that you need like don't I mean like limit or don't think that you need all the fancy equipment and just don't limit yourself thinking that you need all of that yeah and I would also say like don't be afraid of failure like everyone's gonna like failure is inevitable. Just get used to it. You know, like, I think that's just a really, a really big thing. Like I went to art school and I remember one of the first projects we had in there, where did you make this abstract print with these little triangles? And I remember everyone working really hard and like putting them up on the wall and the teacher would just walk around, just rip them down in half and be like, Nope, this is crap. Do it again. You come back next week. Like this little area down here is working, but no, do it again. And rip, rip, rip. And it was just like, you're ready to just quit and leave school. But that's the thing is they're just weeding you out, you know, and you've got to sort of be that critical with your own work to sort of, you know, go through it no matter what anybody says. So I think, I, yeah, I think, yeah, you just got to like sort of take the first steps and just do it and not worry about what everyone else is thinking, not worry about whether it's going to be a success or a failure. Just whatever happens will be some sort of learning experience. You're probably better off in the end for doing it, you know? Yeah. I am a filthy liar. That was not my last question. <laughs> I did want to revisit. What was the bonus most- question? <laughs> what was uh, the most memorable show? We didn't get to finish. Oh my show. gosh! Yeah, let me think. Um, man, I wish I had my diary out. Uh, <laughs> most memorable show. 
We've had some good ones. Uh, we did a show with the Squirrel Nut Zippers. It was a lot of fun. Oh, dude, they're um, fantastic. Yeah. They were super. They were super cool, and um, that was a good time. Uh, I guess I'll say that. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm just. I'm blanking. They all sort of blur together. Um, they're all. Yeah, they're all. They're all great. I don't know. Um, they're all memorable for their own reasons. Yeah, you can edit this question out. It's good. Which is fair. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like. Um, I know I'm going to hang up then I'll be like, no, there was this one time where this really cool thing happened and it was awesome. And, you know, I don't know, anytime people get up and like, like dance and just get excited about it. Like the thing is like, it doesn't really matter to me if there's two people out there or like 200, like, or whatever, however many people you're just going to go out there and play as hard as you can and just, just, just do it, you know, no matter what. So. Okay, so in that case, uh, like, what was your first show that you ever played? I mean, with, either with your current band or whichever. Oh, man, this is funny. The first show I, <laughs> I ever played was, let me see if I can remember this right. It was on my 20th birthday. I was turning 20, and it was at a graduation party for my ex-girlfriend <laughs> at her new boyfriend's house. Okay. So that's my, not just how it worked out. Uh, uh, yeah, that's just that's just weird. How did you feel going on stage? I mean, like, stage fright is already or not stage fright, but like it was. No, I mean, it was, I was nervous just because. Yeah, I was very nervous to be playing playing on stage. I think the other guy was nervous that I was there, but it was just sort of like some weird, a weird. It was so weird. I think it it probably helped with the stage fright because everything was awkward. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that just—I just remember that. It's like a weird. <laughs> it was a very weird show. Yeah, on my birthday. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, that's something that you definitely wouldn't forget playing. Um, and then after that, like we you know, it was just like tons of like, you know, uh, basement shows and like just, you know, punk rock shows and just sort of like that old, uh, that whole thing. You know, local shows. I love yeah. the local scene. I mean, still do. And um. I grew up in Delaware and they had a really good like local punk rock scene and you know you get a lot of bands coming up from Philly and a lot of bands coming down from uh, up from DC and New York and things like that so it was it was cool. That's fantastic. Um, so I guess now I finally don't have any other questions for you. You have been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. I really do appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm a fan. I try to try to catch them all. So this is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's an honor honor to be here. I say that sincerely. I do want to say you're you are always more than welcome to come back. But yeah, so till next week. I'll just knock, I'll just knock randomly on the door at the shack. <laughs> who's, who's that coming by this hour? You got and a couple flower I could borrow or something. I'm kind of out. Oh, you're recording. Okay, I'll stop on in. You know, doors just, up. <laughs> drop on in like that weird neighbor just pops in and like random. Time. <laughs> like, yeah, just my Joe Casual's here again. What the? What does he want? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Tune in until next week, guys.